The following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. All right, Kenny Rogers fans, we got any? Kenny Rogers, all right, all right. I want a few songs. I, I don't, you don't have to sing the song, This Is Not Karaoke Sunday, okay? That would be a great, that would be a great Family Matters night event, wouldn't it? Just karaoke? Uh, I don't think so. All right, but um, now, so I don't, you don't have to sing it. I just want titles. Give me some Kenny Rogers song, not Kenny Loggins, okay? Kenny Rogers song titles. All right, give them to me. The Gambler, knew it'd be there. What else? Islands in the stream. That is what we are. Sail away with me. Oh, this is good stuff. All right. I said no karaoke. I'm sorry, Zed. It just came out. It just came out. All right, what else? What else we got? You're like, we're not giving you any more if we got to listen to that. Okay, there's a few more. What do you got? That's it? Ruby? Okay, what else? Lady? Okay, lady. Who said lady? Lady? Lady. All right, lady. Okay, a lady said lady. Interesting. All right. Now, if you were going to have Kenny Rogers' The Greatest Hits, all right, and, and you were going through the playlist of Kenny Rogers' The Greatest Hits, what are you going to have right off The Gambler? Number one, it's, it's just going to have to be The Gambler. But followed by the next, Lady. Lady. All right. Want me to sing that one? That's a good one. No, I'm not going to do it. Okay. What about this one? Nobody said this one. She Believes in Me. Oh, it's such a good cheesy song, is it not? Yes. Yes. And then you're all just, you're buttered up. You're just like, Oh, this is just so good. And then, Lucille. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. I mean, doesn't that just make you feel so good inside? And then then you go back to the beginning and you're like, The Gambler, Lucille, those two songs are connected somehow. They just are. The The Gambler, he gambled wrong, okay? All right? And later on, he's singing to Lucille. Now, I know that's not exactly how the song goes, but just bear with me a little bit, all right? Last week, last week, JB did a great job, and he called us to evaluate the expectations that we bring to our families, whether that's expectation of our spouse, whether that's expectations of our children. He called on us to look and evaluate those expectations And when we find that they are legitimate, because sometimes those expectations are not, but when we find that they are legitimate, he then encouraged us to communicate those expectations. And I really, really appreciate what he had to say to us last week. It's very practical. This week, today, what we're going to look isn't about what we expect in our marriages, in our family life. Today is all about left field, okay? Today is, is about those days that we look and we ask ourselves or we even say it out loud, what happened here? Uh, why did this take place? Perhaps we don't ask it, maybe we say it, we say this, this is not, this is not what I expected when it came to my family, when it came 
to life. Folks, we just got to be honest here. Sometimes life stinks. It does. I mean, it might look like a variety of different things. The loss of a great job. Maybe, maybe it's a failure of, of some kind. And I'm not talking about the fail. Jamie was talking about YouTube fail videos and how his kids just love watching them, you know. I'm not talking about a 30-second YouTube video fail. I'm talking about the failure that's going to hurt for years. Uh, many times failure is, is followed by guilt. Maybe, maybe one day the spouse says, I just, don't, I just don't love you anymore, goodbye. What about this? My child makes a choice in life that will end in chaos at worst, in despair at best. And there is nothing I can do to convince him or her otherwise. What about this? This happened for my aunt and my now late uncle just two weeks ago. A stranger crosses the center line and changes your life forever. You look at what seems to be a shattered life and ask, what happened? What about Jesus? What about his promise. We're going to be bouncing around a lot today. John 10, 10. John 10, 10. This is not the passage we're focusing on today. The one we'll focus on is just a few chapters later from the gospel of John, but we're not even going to stay there. We're going to be moving around a little bit, okay? But John 10, 10 says this. This is Jesus speaking. If you have red letters in your Bible that are the words of Jesus, they're going to be red. Okay? Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life is shattered and someone might turn to that verse of the Bible and say, what, what, did, what does that verse say? Is this abundant life? Is this my fault? Is that the reason this has taken place? Is this my fault? Has the Lord forgotten me? Why is this happening? The Bible's chock full of people who suffered. You know, the one that tops the list, you probably know exactly what I'm thinking, Job. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to Tim Hawkins a few weeks ago. He's a Christian comedian. And he said, you know, the story of Job is just, it's, it's, a, it's a strange and interesting one. He said, the one I wonder about is, is his wife. She must have been a piece of work. And then he says, this is what happens to Job. If you don't know the story, this is what happens to Job. He loses his children, he loses his livestock, he loses his possessions, he loses his health, he doesn't lose his wife. Now, I need to be Tim Hawkins because he says it and it's all kinds of funny, you know? Interesting. Matter of fact, she told him to curse God and die. That was her advice. 
Job, Jeremiah, Samson, King David, Abraham, Hannah, Mary, Paul, Jesus. And that's just a tip of the iceberg of the list of people in the word of God who suffered. Some suffered because of their choices. Some suffered because it was God's plan. Some suffered because suffering is simply what happens in this world. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around and see that suffering is still playing a major role in this world. I'm going to tell you something, guys, and listen very closely, because there are some people out there trying to teach this in our world who are not teaching this accurately. There are teachers, there are theologians in this world doing a huge disservice to God's people. This is their message. God only wants his people happy, healthy, and successful. And they usually define success in materialistic ways. The problem with teaching this is the reality of living in this world and a shipwrecked faith when tragedy comes. And those who teach that will then come to this and become Job's friends. You remember what Job's friends told him? They showed up and they said, Job, this is your fault. This is your fault. And those who teach this, the only line of thinking with this is then coming to Larry, Sherry, or Harry, I don't care who, and telling them, hey, this is your fault. Your faith just isn't strong enough. Maybe those who often misuse John 10.10 should turn a few pages over to John 16.33. Also in red. These words that were spoken the night before Jesus died on a cross. His words with his closest followers, his disciples. It's interesting what he says. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. I'll tell you what, some of the things he told them weren't that easy. (laughs) But yet he says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, you will have trials, you will have suffering, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So, if suffering is going to happen and God's word will help us deal with it, And sooner or later, every one of us in this room will suffer. And guys, i got to be honest with you. There's no meter of suffer there that everybody has to get to. That's not the way it works. Some in this world suffer more than others. But all suffer. So what is to be our response to suffering? That's the question. If we are going to suffer in this world, Jesus himself said we will, what is our response? Number one, you ready? It's this. We need to understand it's okay to simply hurt for a while. We need to understand that. It's okay to just hurt. Friends, listen, every one of us at some point in time will be put into the place of someone trying to offer comfort 
to someone we love who is hurting. You and I both, we're going to be in that place at some point. A little bit of advice for you and for me. It's this, be patient with your loved ones when they're hurting. We love to, we love to really give Job's friends a hard time. We really do. Do you know what Job's friends did before they ever opened their mouth and said anything to him? They sat down in ashes with him for seven days without saying a word. Think on that for a little bit. I think if I go to offer somebody comfort and I'm there with them for 30 minutes, I've done pretty good. Now I can start giving them a lot of wisdom. Seven days. We need to understand when we are trying to give someone comfort or when we are the ones suffering ourselves that it's okay to just sit back and cry and hurt a while. I'll never forget the words of many, many, many years ago when Zeus, we call him Zeus, Brother Zeus Diak, He's teaching at the time psychology and all kinds of counseling classes at Ozark Christian College. And he told us in the class counseling youth, he said this, the average, and those of you that I've worked through times of of funerals and, and, and bereavement with have heard me say these words. On average, the process of sorrow when you lose someone you love lasts seven years. And that doesn't mean on the seventh year it's done. It just means that that's how long on average it takes to process through the grief. Seven years. It's okay to hurt a while. Number two. When the time comes, it's okay to ask why. It's okay to just ask Other people, why? Why did this happen? Now, don't expect good answers in return, okay, if you ask that question. But it's okay to ask it. It's okay to ask it of God. God, why did this happen? I'm going to tell tell us, though, that if we come with that question after quite a time of hurting, that we need to be honest with ourselves about the facts. If I'm going to ask the question, why, I have to ask some other questions. And the number one one is this. Am I suffering because of my own choices? Many of those in scripture that I talked about fall into that category. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews urges us to embrace the discipline of the Lord. But not all that suffer, suffer because of wrong choices. Or wrong choices made. That's just the reality of it. Sometimes that's the case. Many times it's not. But I have to, if I'm going to ask why, I have to be honest and ask myself that question. And then, maybe when we leave that question, we can ask this. Is this, is what I'm living right now God's plan? 
It is a plan for me. Why don't you turn to Romans 8.28. This is another one that gets, gets, gets thrown around quite a bit, okay? When it comes to suffering. Romans eight twenty eight, With the mindset of asking, is this God's plan? Paul writing to the people of Rome, he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Something we got to understand, folks, when we read that passage of Scripture, we, not, we don't want to get the wrong thing in our brain. This passage, this verse is not a get through the world without pain card that you play on the, on the board game, okay? All right? This is just this. God causes all things to work to the betterment of those who are called according to his purpose. So we come back full circle and say, is this your plan, Lord? I am hurting here. Is this a part of your plan? You know the tough thing about this question, this God's plan question, is that we might not get an answer to that question for a long, long time. It might be eternity. And I got a feeling we probably won't even be asking the question anymore when we're with our Father in heaven. Probably won't even remember it. But it is a valid question. And unfortunately, one we don't always get answered. Another thing we need to ask ourselves if we're if we're asking why here, am I suffering because this world simply stinks sometimes? Turn to Luke chapter 13. First five verses of Luke 13, I didn't know if you knew it, but, but there are newspaper, Jesus' Gospels have the newspaper clippings, and this is them, right here, okay? All right, yes, when Jesus walked into this earth, things happened that made the news. Now, maybe their news looked a little different than what our news looks like today, but things happened, people asked questions. Luke 13, verse 1. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Pilate was, he was a tyrant. We'll just throw it out there. He was. Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you will all likewise perish. And then Jesus goes on to to another newspaper clipping. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you all will likewise 
perish. What Jesus, the point he's making here, bad things happen in this world. Those people on whom the tower fell, they didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve it any more than anyone else. But I'll tell you what. You better understand, life is short. You don't know when. Your life is done. Therefore, repent now. Sometimes in this world, bad things just happen. It's the nature of living in a world that is the result of the sin in the garden of Adam and Eve. All right, back to our series of questions. First one was, understand it's okay to simply hurt for a while when we are suffering. The second one that we need to know is, when the time comes, it's okay to ask the question why. Number three here, remember, proper perspective on suffering comes only for most of us with time. And lots of it. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. How many of you have heard the statement, time heals all wounds? You heard it before? It's not necessarily true. That's not scripture. But what time does allow is the opportunity for us to see the bigger picture. Sunday school, all about that this morning, wasn't it, Dave? All about this. And sometimes it takes Time to see the big picture. Book of Lamentations in your Old Testament. Go ahead and turn to Lamentations chapter 3, but I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it first. That's kind of right smack dab in the middle of, of that short book in Old Testament terms. It's kind of a short one. The one right previous to it is not short and is written by the same guy. His name was Jeremiah. He was a prophet. You know, some prophets had it good, some didn't have it so good. Some prophets, it all depended upon when they were called to be a prophet to God's people in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah, figuratively speaking, got the short end of the stick, all right? He was called to be a prophet in and of the nation of Judah when Judah was going down the drain. After years and years and years of forsaking God and not listening to him, God finally said, I've had enough. This great hand from the north will sweep down and will take my people and rip them from their homes, slaughter them. That hand from the north was the kingdom of Babylon. And Jeremiah lived through all this. And it was his job to continue to preach prophesy to teach the people of Jerusalem and Judah even though they would not listen. Jeremiah authored what we call Jeremiah, but he also wrote Lamentations. Lamentations is the you pick to find time to leave me, Lucille, of Jeremiah's writings, okay? Now don't get me wrong, there's some hope found there. There's some hope found there, but I'm telling you what, it is rough. I mean, I just looked through these, these title headings 
of, of this. And, and if you've got little heading titles above paragraphs and stuff, you're by, well, understand those aren't scriptural. Usually it's just somebody, something an editor has added, but they're usually pretty close to being on track. And what do you got here? You got the greatest hits of Lamentations. You got the sorrows of Zion. You got God's anger over Israel. Oh, yeah. Jeremiah shares in Israel's affliction. He picked a time, time. The distress of the siege described. You got it? You got it? Yes. It is not fun times. Lives shattered. Jeremiah saddened and feeling helpless because it doesn't matter what he tells these people, they will not listen. Is the situation hopeless? Believe it was, oh man, I'm going to tell you wrong. I think in 1923, but I'm probably wrong. If I am, tell me afterwards. You're going to Google it. I know you are. 1923, a man wrote a poem and another man took that poem and put it to music in Baldwin, Kansas. And what we get as a result of that is one of the greatest hymns ever penned. Great is thy faithfulness. Guess where those words come from? Lamentations. The Lucille book of the Old Testament. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 the Lord's loving kindness indeed, his loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. God, great is your faithfulness. Time gives us perspective. And we come to the understanding of this. God is right there in the midst of the suffering with us. He knows pain firsthand and he is faithful. Come back into the New Testament. First Peter. First Peter chapter 5. Verses 6 and 7. Before I read this, 1 Peter chapter 5, near the end of your, it's going to be really near the end of your Bible, okay? The Apostle Peter writing. He's writing to believers, and it's something you've got to understand that in, in the midst of Peter writing this, his, his, the recipients of his letter are suffering. Matter of fact, it's called, in his words, a fiery ordeal. They are suffering, they are being persecuted. They are suffering. So the entire letter, 1 Peter, is written in the context, the environment of suffering. This is what he says. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety. There's that anxiety word, David. 
Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Guys, this is, this, is, this is the nature of suffering. Suffering does something to everyone. I don't care where they are when the suffering begins or ends. The result is always the same. Suffering humbles everyone. Suffering is the reminder of no matter how much money is in the bank account, no matter how well those kiddos are doing, how well our marriage is going, and how, how well that job is going, no matter what. Suffering is the greatest reminder of, I'm really not in control here. It is the eyes of the wise in this world. It's their eyes that are turned to God in the time of suffering. I was curious. Did a little research on suffering this week. And a name popped up. And I was curious to see how many of of us here today know this name. Malcolm Muggeridge. Anybody? Malcolm Muggeridge. No one? All right, interesting. If I was preaching in a church in Great Britain and asked that question... A lot of hands would go up. I know this because if I, I just asked a few weeks ago, right here in this room, um, how many of you are Paul Harvey fans? And a lot of hands went up. Malcolm Muggeridge, who's a little bit like Great Britain's Paul Harvey. Although the vast majority of what he did was not with his voice, it was with his hand, with a pen. In his hand. Let me tell you a little bit about Malcolm Muggeridge. He was 20th century um, journalist, political writer, lived through two world wars, saw a lot in his life, suffered personally, like many people. The wars cost him and his family personally. Brilliant, brilliant man. He's one of those men that you listen to scholarly and all you can think of is like Oxford or something and you're like you're like I think of like C.S. Lewis like man I wish I had that accent that'd be so cool I mean you, you speak with a British accent and I don't care what you're saying people just think you're smarter right no. well as I was studying a little bit about Malcolm Muggeridge another guy's name popped up a number of times and let me ask you if anybody heard of this this gentleman now, this, this is on this side of the sea, all right? So I'll preface it with a, his, his name is William F. Buckley. Got a few of you, a few of you. William F. Buckley, firing line. Sound familiar? Okay. Television show. And I can tell you what, guys. You know you're getting older when you're sitting at your desk 
on a Tuesday and you click on a show from 1968 called Firing Line and you watch all 35 minutes of it and are reasonably entertained. (laughs) It's like, I got through watching, I was like, wow, don't think I would have watched that 20 years ago. (laughs) And it wasn't just the British accent. It's the things these men were saying. And it was interesting because you got John F. Kennedy going on. You got all of these things going on and these men talking. And this firing line, it was like this remembering of Malcolm Muggeridge all through the many interviews that William Buckley over the years talked to me. Because this Malcolm Muggeridge walked this line in life. He went from very liberal in his thinking to more conservative. And then before you know it, the guy starts thinking about God. And then he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what Malcolm Muggeridge had to say about suffering. This is interesting. Listen with me. I wish I could do it with a British accent. I cannot. He said this, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. As soon as he got through saying those words, William F. Buckley was firing stuff back at him. Well, how can you, what do you mean? So you say suffering's better than, than peace or, or well, well, he says, no, 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 no. You don't understand what I'm saying. He says, I feel this way because of a man named Jesus and his death on a cross. The single event that changed everything in this world and the way in which followers of Jesus Christ view suffering. We can shake our fist at God and say, why is this happening now? And as we do it, We are crying out, not to a sympathetic God, but an empathetic God. Our God knows suffering. Our God has experienced it firsthand. And it changes everything. It's our view of the cross. It's that view and that view alone that determines our final response to suffering. Our Lord suffered for us. You know, one thing I liked so much about JB's sermon last week was just the 
day-to-day practicality of it. I hope you got that last week. JB laid some things out there and he said, you do this, you do this, you do this. And it will help you when it comes to the expectations you bring into your family life. Do these things. And yet, this week, we're talking about a completely different subject. A subject that touches every one of our families at some point. I'm going to be a part of a funeral service for my uncle who died way too early. And the thing I dread more than anything about tomorrow is looking into the eyes of my aunt. I don't know why I don't, it doesn't bother me so much about looking into the eyes of his children. I don't know why. It's her eyes. And I wish today as we sit here and we ponder this subject that there was something practical, something I could just say that would just take our pain away. I wish I could wipe your tears personally in a way that they would never come again. But guys, I can't, and you can't either. You know why? Because that's not our job. That's the job of our God. Jesus said, in this world you will have suffering, but be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. And he's taken us home one day, people. And in that home, suffering will be an ancient memory. It's going to get to the point, if it wasn't for the cross reminding us of why we are in heaven, we would just probably talk about it in mythological terms. You know what? They talk about suffering. It never really happened. No, there's no such thing as suffering. It'll be so distant. So ancient. And as God takes us into that world, what does Revelation say? He will wipe our tears away forever. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? Let's pray. God, we come before you today. We thank you, Lord, that when we look around us and see pain in this world, when we experience it firsthand, Lord, that we have the comfort of the words of your Son. We have his promise to rest in, Lord, that He's overcome this world. Father, remind us daily if need be that you are making a world as we speak. That your son will come and take us home to where suffering will be a distant, faded memory. And Lord, use suffering in this world to turn the eyes of people to you. 
Father, give us compassion for those who hurt. Give us words beyond our vocabulary, Lord, to show them we love them. And for those that don't know you, Lord, to show them that there's something better. Something so much better than what this world offers. And Lord, I pray for the men and women here today who are hurting. That they would lean heavily upon you. They would find comfort in your promise. And comfort in your presence, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Who experienced suffering firsthand. To win our love. We pray this in his name. Amen.